Hey, well, welcome everybody. Man, we had a great Easter uh, last Sunday. It was fantastic. Thank you for uh, so many of you being there. As you saw, uh, we had 1,618 people that showed up for Easter to worship Jesus, right? I mean, come on. That's a brand... That's a brand new record um, of attendance uh, for, for New Life Church. I also want to say that our North Platte campus had a record attendance of 310 people that showed up to worship God. I think that's exciting, right? Come on. We had over 70 people raise their hand in one of our three auditoriums that said, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Over 70 people raised their hand and said, I want to follow Jesus. Man, now we want to follow up on them, but not all of them filled out a card. So if you're one of those, those 70 people that raised your hand and said, I want to follow Jesus, but you didn't fill out one of our, our contact cards, right? And you didn't mark on the back, I've committed my life to Jesus Christ, then please do that today because we, we want to pray for you. Number one, we want to pray for you. And we just want to help you take those next critical steps um, in your life that are so important to take. So welcome back those of you that uh, were with us on Easter, and maybe this is now your second time or maybe two weeks in a row for a long time, and so I just want to say welcome back, and I'm glad to have you here. You guys are all here at the beginning of a brand new teaching series that we've entitled Dark Room. Dark Room. Now the concept of Dark Room is exactly what you're thinking right now. It comes from the perspective of you know, developing old 35 millimeter, as an example, film. Does anybody remember that kind of film? Is there anybody here that has no clue what I'm talking about? Thank, we, we all thank you for making us feel old. I mean, today, in today's world, I'm, I mean, obviously, we're so much more thankful for what we have today, right? I mean, you can take a picture on your smartphone. You can, you know, upload it to your computer. You can Photoshop yourself in or... Photoshop someone out that is uh, no longer, you know, your buddy, and you can change things, you can turn a frown into a smile, right? You can take that zit off of your nose, um, you, you can do all kinds, you can take the weird person that's walking behind you in the photo and just take them out completely, you can make the sun shine more brightly, you can make it more cloudy, you can do all kinds of stuff, you can put yourself in front of some iconic, you know, image that's here on the planet, uh, you can do all kinds of stuff, and then you can print it out, and people look at it and they go, wow, that was really cool, and the whole thing's photoshopped. It used to be that you would take a camera and you would take a picture and, you know, you'd have to advance the film. Come on, people. <clears throat> you had to advance the film to the next frame, right? And you take the photo and you got to worry about things like f-stop. I mean, who even knows what that means? So you have to focus the camera. You got this big bulky thing. And then when you get done, you got all the negatives inside of this little camera, you know, compartment that's keeping the sunlight from hitting it so it doesn't, it doesn't go bad. And then you take that and then they develop it. And when they develop it, they have to take it to the dark room right, where the lights are out, you just got this little red light shining in the background, and then they take that negative through seven, you know, <clears throat> delicate steps. And they have to be precise steps, by the way. Um, one of them at the development stage, you can only let so much light go through the negative and hit it, or otherwise it's too dark, or it's too light. 
And then you got to move it to the next phase, the stop one. And you take the paper literally out and you put it into the stop. And then you take it from there and you put it into the fixer. And you take it from there and you put it into the water bath, which goes to the archival rinse that ends up in the final water bath. And then finally the print is drying and you can actually use it. It's so delicate. It was so precise. It was so tedious. But how in the world would I take a negative, a little small negative on a 35 millimeter film back in the old days, how would I ever take that negative and let this entire room see it if I didn't take it through the dark room and turn it into a photo that I could put up on the stage so that everybody in this, in this venue and everybody in our other venues could see it? The process of the dark room took something from small, minuscule, and it turned it into something that was brilliant and that was alive and that people could value and appreciate. God uses the dark room to develop character in our lives. Many of us, we want something great in our lives. Amen? But few are willing to pay the dark room price to get it. We want the perfect picture without the dark room process. We want the perfect picture, but we just can't keep our hands out of the process. When you're developing photos like that, there was two phrases, and they still do it today, by the way. It's called dodging and burning. So when I, if I, you took a picture of me, and uh, you, wanted, you wanted my face to be lighter than the background, then you would use dodging. You would put something over my face as, through the process so that I didn't get as much light there, and it would be lighter. Or you could burn it, right? Where you could make just my face shine, and all the background, you could dodge it out, and then my, my face would burn, right? Now, that's a beautiful thing when God's the developer, and God's doing the dodging and the burning, But all too often in our lives, we get our hands in there and we say, God, I want this area to be brighter and I want this other area to be duller. I want people to see this in me. I don't want them to see that. And we get our hands in there and we can really foul up the picture in a big way. Here's the reason why. God's the one who created the shot. Have you ever hired a professional photographer to come and take pictures of you and your family? Who's done that before? Why did you do that? Why why didn't you just like grab a person and just you stand there in the photo and just tell them what you wanted? Because they know what they're doing. They know what the shot's supposed to look like. They they know what the the right angle is so that the sun or the the light that they brought into the room, it hits you just right. They they know how to create the atmosphere. God's the one who created the shot. He created the perfect background for the shot. He created the perfect person for the shot. And he created the perfect place to take the shot in. God's the one who set the lighting just right. God designed the very details to make the perfect photo. And when God's allowed to be the developer, he has a, he has a perfect eye in the dark room to take the negative and turn it into something that's incredibly positive. Only God can do that because only God was the one looking through the lens when he took the shot. So why is it that we're the ones that go, snatch the camera from God? God, I know what this is supposed to look like. Why is it in the dark room when the negative's being transposed onto the paper? We're like, no, hide this area, God. I don't want people to see that. No, God, make this area look really great. When God's the one who set it all up, our role in life is to learn how to stop dodging and to stop burning on God's creation and God's plan. So why does God use the dark room? God works on character in the dark room so that we can shine for him on the stage of life. 
You'll never shine for God on the stage of life unless you let God take you to the dark room. We all know people that have climbed the ladder of fame way too quickly, only to come crashing down because they didn't have the character and or the fortitude to stand in the heat of the moment, right? And we all know people that have gone through the dark room of life. They've gone through the challenges. They've gone through the difficulties. And their character has been developed only to come out on the backside of that shining brightly. And they, they got an amazing testimony and they do amazing things for God. So throughout this teaching series, we're going to be looking at famous men and women that are in the Bible that God took into the dark room of life so that he can put them on the stage and that they could shine brightly for him and do incredible things, just like God's wanting to do for you and for me. And the first one we're going to look at is Moses. Now, the, the, the story of Moses and the journey of Moses can be found in the book of Exodus. It's Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All of that, you can be reading about Moses, right? You can go to Exodus, all the way to the end of Deuteronomy where Moses, he, his, his, his life dies on the top of a mountain overlooking this land that God is going to give to his ancestors. And I would encourage you, go read about Moses and read about God, God's interaction with Moses and his, his personal um, you know, movement with Moses, if you will, and this relationship that he has with him. Moses was born, though, in Egypt. He was born um, under a time of great oppression. The Hebrews, they were living there as slaves, really, to the Egyptians. Um, Pharaoh was so worried that the Hebrews were populating so quickly. These Hebrew people, they loved each other, right? Kids were popping out all over the place. And uh, the Pharaoh was worried about the fact that the Hebrews were going to grow in population so great that he wouldn't be able to contain them. And so he made a horrific decree and he ordered every baby boy to be killed, thrown into the Nile. Well, when Moses was born, his mother loved him so much that she couldn't, she couldn't kill him. She, she didn't want his identity to be given away. And so she takes Moses, and some of you know the story, and she, she puts him in this basket, and she takes him down and hides him in the river, in the reeds, so that the river wouldn't pull him away. But she strategically does it right where Pharaoh's daughter goes down to bathe and goes down to the river often. She's there's hiding, right? Watching this whole thing go down. Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby. She grabs the baby and she raises the baby. So Moses goes from a Hebrew slave to now living in the house of Pharaoh when all the other baby boys were being, being killed. And now Pharaoh and his daughter are raising basically Moses in their house. That means Moses is now given the top-notch treatment, he lives in the best of the best. He has the best of the best. He's educated with the best of the best. Moses has everything that a young man could want. And in the childhood of Moses, we don't have really any other things spoken about him until all of a sudden Moses is a young adult. Moses is walking around the job sites where the Hebrews are being forced into labor to do the work that the Egyptians want done. And he sees, he sees the way that the Egyptians are slave driving the Hebrews. Moses gets this rage inside of him, and he kills one of the Egyptian slave drivers. And then he buries him in the sand, thinking that no one would ever notice. No one would ever see it. And the next day, Moses comes out. You can almost kind of like see Moses, right? He stepped into manhood now. He took another man's life, and he's done it to try to protect the Hebrews. 
And he, you can almost see, he probably comes walking out of his glorious house that he lives in. He's going to go walk the streets again. You know, no one's going to know, but inside he's going to have this personal pride of, look what I'm doing, look how I'm using my leadership, only to find out that people now know, and the words on the street, that Moses has killed an Egyptian. Well, Moses is raised in Pharaoh's house. He knows He knows the power of Pharaoh. He knows the attitude of Pharaoh. He knows what Pharaoh is capable of. And he knows that that's going to warrant a death sentence on his own head. So as soon as Moses knows that the word on the street is that he killed an Egyptian, Moses flees. He flees to the east, all the way to the desert of Midian, which now is what we would know as the western side of Saudi Arabia. Moses flees for days, possibly weeks, arriving at a well in the desert of Midian. And Moses, while he's there, he meets the daughters of Jethro. And he ends up staying in the desert, in this place, knowing that there's a death warrant on his head. Sometime after Moses was in the desert with Jethro, Jethro gives Moses his daughter, Zipporah. He gives Zipporah to be Moses' wife. And now... Moses is committed to staying in the desert. Isn't that interesting how that happens? You go fleeing to the desert, and now you've got a purpose to stay there. Things happen pretty quick in the story, and what do you know? Bala boom, bala bing, some might say. (laughs) Moses has a son. And in uh, Exodus, I don't even know where that came from, by the way, so I apologize for that. (laughs) But in, Ex- in Exodus 2, 22, here's what we find. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. The name Gershom meant an alien in a foreign land. This is, this is now Moses. This is how he feels about himself. He's, he's fallen from the height of being a young man that was raised in Pharaoh's house, with all of the amenities that would come with, come with that, to killing a man, to now moving to the desert, fleeing, having none of his friends, none of his family around him. He's in a foreign place, and this is what he names himself, his son so that he can remember it for the rest of his life. I feel like an alien in a foreign land. But it's in a place just like that that God uses to develop character. In fact, if we want to look into the dark room of how God uses the dark room to develop character, we'd have to say that character is developed when you feel out of place, just like Moses did. When you feel out of place, when you're no longer in complete control, when you just don't fit in anymore, right? When you're in a new place that is foreign to where you've been or when when your normal has been changed completely. When you feel out of place, it, it can be a place that feels isolated, Right? There, there may not be many who journey with you to this place. You, you might be alone. You, you may find new friends. But it's in this place where you feel out of place that sometimes God is the one at work in our heart. And it's an isolated place. You, you, you might be there standing alone, by the way. You could be alone, but you need to know this, that God's the one who in that very moment can be developing your character. So if that's where you find yourself, please know this. God can be at work in your heart, even in that isolated place. But when you feel alone, it can be a place that that is a desolate place. You might feel like you're standing in the the literal, spiritual desert of life. One of the most spiritually dry places you've ever been before. But it's in a place like that that God can develop character. 
Why does God develop character? Remind yourself. Because when you're standing in a spiritual dry place, you've got to know God's, God's at work in your heart so that one day he can put you on the stage of life and you can shine for him. You can feel in a desolate place like God's voice has become quiet or that maybe God's voice has just completely gone. Know this, if that's where you're at, God can be working on your character in that moment. I also know that when you feel alone, it's a place and it's a time when you can wrestle with hope. You can wrestle with seeing a future that's better than the one that you're living in right now. And I know this, that you'll wrestle with believing that God will even move tomorrow. Some of you are in a place right now where it's so spiritually dry, it's so isolated, and you've been wrestling with hope for so long, you're wondering, will God ever move again in my life? And you can feel like you're in this place all alone. I want you to know today, it's in a moment just like that, that God's using the dark room of life to develop you into the man or to the woman that he wants you to be so that later he can put you on the stage of life and let you shine for him in a bright way. Don't give up when you're feeling like you're out of place. It's in these moments that God's developing the character, just like you would with the paper and the different chemicals from the developer stage to the stop phase, to the fix phase, to the water bath phase, to the archival phase, to the final wash phase. It's that chemical, and that paper has to move from one to the other, and that takes time. And each one is tedious and delicate, but it's in moments like that that God is developing your life into something that you can't see right now. It looks like a blank piece of paper, but God sees the image he's imprinting on you so he can use you in a powerful way. Back to the story of Moses. Moses, he lived in this desert for 40 years. During these 40 years, Pharaoh, the one who put a death sentence on his head, he died. During these 40 years, Moses goes from living in Pharaoh's house to working in the backside of a desert, being a shepherd. And for 40 years... Moses takes sheep and he feeds them and he cares for them. And he moves them from one little pasture to the next pasture, which in a desert, difficult thing to do. To find one little spot they can feed to another spot they can feed. He could have been gone for days, weeks on end. Day after day, Moses did this work, right? He would have had to learn to survive in the desert alone in harsh environments while taking care of a whole herd of sheep. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, we find this. That one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. Notice whose sheep they belonged to. His father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Here's the next picture that we get of how God uses the dark room in the early stages of Moses' life. God's using the dark room to develop character. So characters developed in the tedious assignments. The tedious assignments. Moses, in what we just looked at and what we just talked about, he's, he's been performing the lowly job of a shepherd. That's a lowly job. That's the low of the low. The tedious assignments. You might feel like you're in a place right now where it is like a job that doesn't even matter. You might feel like you're in a place in life right now where no one even notices you. No one even sees you. You might feel like it's the most tedious thing you've ever done in your life. And you're wrestling with, do I give, it, do I give my all to it? 
I just want to let you know that if God's got you in the tedious assignments of life and he's trying to develop your character, then you got to let go of pride and you have to let go of your arrogance to maximize that moment. You're going to have to give your best where God's, where God's put you. There's an old statement. It says, bloom where you're planted. Give it your best. If it's a tedious place, give it your best because God's using that place to develop the very character in you so that he can later put you on the stage of life and do something amazing in his eyes and for the world so that the world will see Jesus in a more powerful way than ever before. Another thing is you just gotta come to a point where you're content and you're thankful. That's one of the things I love about working here and doing doing what I do right now. I can be honest with you and just tell you straight up, I'm fully content. Now, if it's time to take a vacation, I'm not gonna vacation in a place like Kearney. Not hopping on a plane, not flying halfway around the world to be in a place like Kearney. I think we're all honest with that, right? If I'm on a vacation, I've told you before, I'm going to hop on a plane, I'm going to fly to a big city, hop in a subway, get around millions of people, and just soak it in, my friend. Soak it in. You might go to a beach. But in here, this is where I belong. This is where God planted me. I don't sit around dreaming about going and being a pastor at some other church. I don't sit around thinking about some big city that I can go plant a church in. I keep coming back to, this is where you have me. And I keep coming back to, God, you made me content here. And when you're able to be content, then it doesn't matter whether the job's tedious or the job is big or the assignment's small or the assignment is big. When you can be content, God can, he can keep developing character in you. But when you're not satisfied and you're constantly looking for something other than what God gave you, then it's impossible for God to develop character in you because you're the one that's dodging and you're the one that's burning. And that's where we get things all screwed up all the time. But if character's developed in the tedious assignments, then God wants us to care for the insignificant. Don't cut corners in whatever it is that God's given you to do. Give your best to it when others are watching and when only God is watching. And you know the difference. Some of us will give our best when, you know, the supervisor's watching. But when the supervisor's not watching and only God's watching, cut the corner. Trim it off. Only give it half of what we ought to give it. But when we respond that way, it's like we sabotage God's ability to do what he wants to do in our heart. God's looking for us to give our best. Just like Moses was on the backside of the desert and he still had to maintain the safety of the sheep. I guarantee you, the sheep were not his. They were Jethro's sheep. They were his father-in-law's sheep. If Moses goes out with 60 and he only comes back with 30, how long does he keep his job? So even when he's on the backside of the desert all by himself, what kind of attention does he have to give? He has to give the same amount of attention that he would have been there if Jethro, the owner of the sheep, were standing there. You've got to give it your best. You've got to work in the tedious as if you're working in your dream job, by the way. In whatever God's given you, if it feels minuscule and tedious, work it as if it's your dream job. Give it your very, very best. And be faithful with the small things. That's what Luke 16, 10 has to say. It says that if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. 
So if you and me, if we want great responsibilities, then we must prove ourselves with the small things. We've got to prove ourselves with the small things. And if you have dreams about doing something that's great, then stop looking over the small assignments that God's giving you to do right now with your own hands. Notice how Moses cared for the sheep in the backside of the desert when nobody but God was watching. And it's because of that, that type of attitude and allowing God to work on his heart that God eventually puts Moses in charge of a million plus people to be their leader. So don't tell me that, the, that in the tedious, God's not working miracles. Because it was in the minuscule that God was preparing Moses so that he could be the leader of a million plus people while he was leading the sheep in the backside of the desert. Don't look at the small things and despise them. Give it your best because God's using it to develop you into the man and to the woman he wants you to be. So Moses had been developed, developing God's character and possibly he didn't even know it at the time. Until one day when his life was completely changed. While in the backside of the desert, Moses, he sees this burning bush. Right? Now, it, evidently it wasn't uncommon for a bush to be on fire. I mean, it is a blistering desert, by the way. Right? However, this bush was burning, but it wasn't disintegrating. It wasn't falling apart. It was incredibly hot, but the bush was completely intact. And Moses went over to the bush to check it out. I'm just saying right now. You're in the desert by yourself. The bush is burning. Let's just set it at like 10 o'clock at night. It's dark outside. You can't see very far and a bush is burning. And you're with sheep. What do you do? You go towards? Whoa, I wonder what the burning bush is. Or do you go the other way? This kind of tells you a little bit about the man, Moses, right? He comes walking up to it and suddenly... In the dark of night, that's where we're going to put this moment, all right? The dark of night, from the bush, Moses. I, right there. I mean, I'm, boom, I'm passed out. I wake up in the morning. <laughs> Moses, he doesn't pass out. He says he falls face down onto the ground, and he suddenly realizes, I am in the presence of a powerful, almighty God. God identifies himself as the one true God, the only God, the God of his ancestors. And God tells Moses about the plight of his people back in Egypt. And God tells Moses that he's the one who has been chosen out of all the other Hebrews. He's the one who's been chosen to go back and to stare Pharaoh in the face and to say to Pharaoh, come on, you know the words, let my people go. Man, you guys are good. You guys are good. I love it. Moses finds out from God he's the one that's chosen. So this powerful, mighty man who ran over to a burning bush in the middle of a desert, who, you know, recognizes God's voice and doesn't pass out, but falls down face down and begins to worship him, he, he begins to give God five different reasons why he's not qualified to go. Five different reasons. Until finally, God gets irritated with him. He just gets irritated with him. But God also shows Moses a couple of powerful things that can happen. He says, take your staff and throw it to the ground. It turns into a snake. Pick it back up and it turns back into a stick. He goes, you're going to need that. Another thing, another thing that God does for him is he says, take your hand. Stick it into your, 
into your cloak or stick it into your pocket and pull it back out. And it's blistering white with, you know, fully, fully uh, grown uh, and affected uh, lep- leprous. He's got leprosy all over his hand. I mean, he doesn't freak out. God says, stick it back in your pocket. He sticks it back in. He pulls it back out. It's, com- it's completely clean. God goes, you're, you're going to need that as well. And Moses takes this encounter with God in this backside of the desert and all these pieces, and he makes his way back to Egypt. And the rest of the story, well, it's history. And you can read it yourself. Moses was changed when he came face to face with God. His dream changed. His confidence changed. His purpose for living changed. His identity changed. His loyalty changed from Jethro to God. God knew the dark room that he had Moses in. And he was working his plan and his process. And Moses was walking in obedience to God. Not even knowing it at times. God was doing something fantastic in his life. In the dark room, in the backside of the desert. Until he elevates him to the stage of humanity. And puts him, in the, and puts him face to face with Pharaoh. And he starts working powerful, miraculous things to his life. I want you to know today. God also knows the dark room that you might be in. And there's nothing about that dark room, there's nothing about that difficult place that you're in right now that can keep you from God. Romans 8, 39 says this, that no power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from that. Nothing can. That's what God does. God takes the backside of the desert, and when we come face-to-face with him, he has the ability to do amazing things in our lives, but we're going to have to do what Moses did. We have to fall down on our face and humble ourselves before God and say, God, it's your way, not my way. It's your dream, not my dream. We have to come to a place like that, and when we do, when we meet God in the dark room of life, God has the ability to transform us and and to change us from the inside out. Character, my friends, is developed when God is allowed to intersect your mundane. God's allowed to work his work in your life. When you think about your life and you might go, it's insignificant. When you look at your life and you might go, it's, it's not powerful. You might look at your life and you might have all the excuses like Moses did why God can't use you. But when you allow God to intersect your mundane, and by the way, all of our lives are mundane compared compared to God. We all have this simple thing that God wants us to do. But when God intersects the mundane, now character is developed in us. And God can take us from the dark room, and he can put us on the stage of life, and he can use us in powerful ways. Moses, he almost got left out of the Bible Who knows, he made five excuses. One more excuse, God might have just left him in the desert. Don't miss the moment that God has for you right now. God wants to build Christ-like character within you, and he wants to accomplish his plan within you today. Would you do what Moses did, and would you make a move toward God? You're in the dark room, you're in the desert, The presence of God is there. What do you do? Do you flee? Do you dodge? Do you dart? Do you burn? Or do you move towards him and fall flat on your face 
and say, God, in the dark room of life, may you develop me into the man or the woman that you have for me. May your dream happen. You are the photographer who set up the shot, put me in the shot, set the background, set the lighting, set it all right. Let your will be done, not my will be done. It's in that attitude that God can take you from the dark room and put you on the stage of life and let your light shine bright for his cause. Today, we're going to respond to God in worship. My encouragement is come to God in your dark room and let him use it to transform your every day. Won't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we give you, we give you this morning. We give you this time. We ask you that the power of your spirit would intersect the simple things of our life. We've come here to worship you. We've come here to honor you. We've come here to lift your name up. Lord, may you interrupt this day. May you show up in a powerful way like the burning bush with Moses. And may you reveal yourself to us today. May we find ourselves the hungry at the altars seeking you, bowing down before you, saying, God, I'm in the dark room of life, but I need you to move in a powerful way. I'm going through the dark room of the desert, but God, I want to ha- run into your spirit face to face. May I find refreshment from that. May I find encouragement from running into you. God, may we find you in our desert time. May we find the burning bush and run to it. Wrap our arms around you and humble ourselves before you so that your work might be done in the dark room so that we can shine for you on the stage that you have for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.